Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And in the case of the Lord Jesus, he's dying on the cross, and he's also doing the same thing. He's thinking about over his life, And as he does that, he's thinking about his great commission. He had a great commission. You know, we always talk about the great commission, which was the great, which is what he did to us. But he had a great commission also. And and his great commission, he talked about in this book in Matthew 15, 24. Matthew 15, 24. His great commission, Matthew 15, 24. I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's thinking about that. And, and, and he's remembering back to a time, perhaps he's remembering back to one lost sheep of the house of Israel that became a child of Abraham by um, salvation. And, he, and, and that happened in Luke 19.8, Luke 19.8, where it's talked about another tax collector, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Lord, uh, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So here's Zacchaeus. He's a Jewish tax collector, like Matthew. He's a Jewish tax collector, and he now repents and he turns to the Lord Jesus, and he's saved. And, and now the Lord Jesus is commenting on how this was a fulfillment of his great commission, which was to seek and to save that which was lost. And he's referring to a Jewish man, Zacchaeus. So the great commission for the Lord Jesus was to seek and to save lost Jewish people. So and on the cross, he's thinking about all this. He's going over in his life, his great commission of his life to seek and to save lost Jewish people. And as he does that, as he's thinking about himself, he undoubtedly is thinking with, with, with great sadness what he said in Isaiah 49.5. In Isaiah 49.5, also uh, uh, on the subject of his great commission, he said in Isaiah 49.5, Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. In other words, he's saying, I wasted my life. And then later on, it says, verse 5, And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to, his, to be his servants, to bring Jacob again to him. That was his great commission, to bring Jacob again to Though Israel be not gathered. So he, he feels this. He's a very sensitive person. He feels this. He's on the cross. He's thinking about uh, how he's done in fulfilling his great commission to save Israel. And, he, and he's thinking, I was sent to be the savior of the Jewish people. And he's thinking, I'm not the savior. 
of the Jewish people. I'm the reproach of the Jewish people. He sees himself as a reproach of men. In Psalm 22.7, Psalm 22.7, I am a reproach of men. Now, the Hebrew word that the Lord used there for reproach is the word herpa, herpa, which means a disgrace or a shame. That's what it means. So he sees all the people looking at him there on his naked body. They're looking at him and they're shaking their head and they're hiding their faces from him or they're staring at him. And he says, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed to Israel. And, and, he, and, he, and he sees the people below saying in essence to him, what a shame he is. So the Lord was looked at as a shame by the Jewish nation. The Jewish people saw the Lord Jesus as a shame. And, 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 and that, hasn't, that really hasn't changed. I mean, it's interesting. If you go to the internet and, and you, you Google search and you go to the internet and you just put in this question, who are the most famous Jews who ever lived? Okay? And you'll get a list. You'll get a list, and if that is compiled by a Jewish person, you'll see Albert Einstein and Leonard Bernstein and Sandy Koufax and Moses and Sigmund Freud and Karl Marx and Ehrlich and King David and, and King Solomon and Bob Dylan and Jerry Seinfeld, you know, and, and Jonas Salk and Anne Frank and Golda Meir, and the list goes on and on and on. And, and you won't see Jesus. But if a Gentile compiles the list of most famous Jews who ever lived, the Gentile puts the Jew who is the most known, worshipped by billions of people, all the world knows about him, and they put Jesus of Nazareth near or, or at the top of the list, but not on the Jerusalem Post. Not the, the list that's, that the Jerusalem Post does. So when a typical person sees Jesus of Nazareth at the top of the list, you know what the typical, typical response is by the Jewish people? They go, oh, no. Did you have to remind me? You know, and, and when you say to a Jewish person, you know, Jesus was Jewish, as if you're giving him some information he didn't know. You know Jesus was Jewish. You know, that, 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 that Jewish person really, really doesn't want to acknowledge that. And he goes, yeah, I guess he was. Why? Why is that? Why is that? Why don't you find Jewish people putting at the top of the list of the most famous Jewish person, the, the only Jew that's known by everyone in the world and followed by billions of people? Why don't people, why don't Jewish people like to think of Jesus as the number one most influential and most famous Jew that ever lived? Why do Jewish people typically not think, or don't want to think of Jesus as Jewish? Why do people cringe? Why do Jewish people cringe? at the thought that Jesus was Jewish? Well, the answer was Psalm 22.6, what he said. Psalm 22.6, I think I said seven before. Anyway, it's, weird. it's either six or seven. He says, I am a reproach of men. I am a reproach of men. I am a herpa of men. I am a shame to my people. The Lord Jesus was saying from the cross, they are ashamed of me. And he's still ashamed to the Jewish people. They never say, he's one of ours. The Jewish people read, Verse 1 in Matthew about Jesus Christ being the son of David and the son of Abraham, and they say internally, no, he's not one of ours. I mean, it's amazing that after 2,000 years, the Jewish people still view the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus, as a shame to Israel, as a herpa. I mean, it's, how amazing is that, that after 2,000 years, the Jewish people still see verse 1 of Matthew as a shame? How amazing that the, the, the Jewish people don't look at it and say, yeah, 
The one who billions of Gentiles follow and worship, he's one of ours. They always like to do that. They always like to, you know, they, they find out, you know, Wolf Blitzer and immediately go to the internet. Is he Jewish? You know? <laughs> so, oh, that's nice. Wolf Blitzer is one of ours, you know. All these things, you know. Barbara Streisand, they don't even have to go ask that question. Well, it, it's not just the Jewish people who see verse 1 as awkward. It's also the Gentiles who look at verse 1, and they see Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and the, and the Gentiles say, Jesus Christ is Jewish? <laughs> you mean he's linked to the Jewish people? He's linked to those, those Jewish ACLU lawyers that work so hard to keep prayer out of schools and Bible reading out of schools and want to take the crosses down from public lands? That's his people? No. They say no. No, that's not his people. It's just so awkward for Gentiles to read in verse 1 that Jesus Christ is linked to the Jewish people. And for the most part, when verse 1 is read, it's awkwardly, it's awkward and it's painful to read that as the beginning of the New Testament. You read over it fast. And when it, but, but, it, but when that happens, when people just say, oh, no, he's not Jewish. So that's a setup for seeing another Jesus in, in, than the real Jesus. The real Jesus is, is, is the Jewish exiled king of the Jews. That's the real Jesus. The real Jesus is the Jewish Jesus. So when verse 1 that links the Jesus Christ to the Jewish people is read by both Jews and Gentiles, the immediate thought is, oh, verse 1 means that, that Jesus Christ used to be Jewish. He actually converted. He converted to Christianity. He's no longer Jewish. <laughs> That's what they say about me. You know, that Tom Cantor, he used to be Jewish. Now he converted to Christianity. Yeah? And when I was called in court to be a witness on the witness stand, you know, you tell the truth, yes. Okay. And the lawyer tried to trap me. He said, Mr. Cantor, are you Jewish or are you Christian? <laughs> and I said, I'm Jewish. And they weren't expecting that. Why did I say that? Because the reason I said it is because Christian is a very big net that you throw out of the sea, and there's a lot of strange fish that come up in that net. And they all call themselves Christian. But being Jewish is by birth, and I know how I was born. I was born Jewish. So, so verse 1, what a great way to start off the New Testament with a statement that Jesus Christ is linked to the Jewish people. And by linking the Jewish people, uh, Jesus to the Jewish people, in the first verse of Matthew is important because the book of Matthew is written to the Jewish people. Now, in linking the Jewish people, linking Jesus to the Jewish people, first verse of the New Testament, is important because the New Testament is written to the Jewish people who were commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel. All the people that the Lord Jesus told, you go into all the world and you preach the gospel, the so-called Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All the people he told that were, were, were Jewish. Even Peter was Jewish. Even though they have some big cathedral in Rome called St. Peter, he's still Jewish. Anyway, so you might ask, why, when I look at verse 1, why does it start out by saying that the Lord Jesus is the descendant of Abraham, uh, David and then Abraham? That's my question. I mean, Abraham came before David. So why does verse 1 why doesn't it follow chronology? Why doesn't it start with Abraham and then go to David? Why doesn't it say the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David? Why does it say the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham? 
Again, because, you know, Abraham came first. Okay, what's the reason for that? Well, the reason is because this lineage of the Lord, we can see from what we, in verse 16, is the lineage of Joseph and not of David. Uh, sorry, Mary. It's the lineage of Joseph and not of Mary. So both Joseph and Mary descended, obviously, from Abraham to David. But, that's from Abraham to David, right? But from David on to Joseph and on to Mary, they had, they, they, it, it changed at that point. So in other words, from Abraham to David, Joseph and Mary had the same relatives. They had the same relatives. But at David, there was a fork in the road. And Joseph and Mary descended from two branches that came out of, of David. The, 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 Joseph descended through one son of David, and Mary descended through another son of David. This, in Matthew here, is the line of Joseph. It's not the line of Mary. And, because, like I said, Mary descended, Mary's descendants went through another branch from David. So, so okay. Since Matthew is linking the Lord Jesus to the Jewish people, and in Jewish law, a person is seen as descending from the parents of his father, not his mother. Like, like anyway, I don't want to get into that. But anyway, that's why emphasis is first from David, because that marks out the line of Joseph as opposed to the line of Mary, his mother. Okay, now what is this genealogy all about? apart from being difficult names we have a hard time trying to pronounce. And why is this so important to start off Matthew, start off the New Testament with this genealogy? Well, the genealogy is really uh, showing a marking out or a choosing. You know, it reminds me when, when, uh, when, when we lived in Lakeside with, uh, with, with, with our children and 300 goats, and we all lived very happily there. <laughs> and... I had to immunize, uh, I had 100 antigens. And of the 100 antigens, certain goats got immunized with this antigen or that antigen, but never mixed up. So I was, and so that meant that I had to be very sure that I immunized the right goat with the right antigen. And now we had about 50 goats in a pen. We had about six pens, 50 goats in a pen. So I had to first, when I wanted to immunize a goat, I had to first go and find the right goat. Then I had to look him over and make sure he was healthy. There's no problems. Okay, you, you, you. And then I scheduled the immunization, and I went back and prepared the antigen. Okay, So that meant that I had to first go out and find the right goat and then mark it with a paint stick. And, and, and um, now when, you know, get that in your mind, and now think about the time when the father of the house, the fathers of the houses, but the father of the house during the Passover time had to go out among his her, er, er, herd, his herd of, of lambs and find and mark out the, 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 the chosen lamb. And, and, you know, the chosen lamb that's going to save the family from death. So the, the father goes into this herd and he finds the special lamb. And this was very carefully done because Moses said, you know, and, and <clears throat> Exodus 12.3, Exodus 12.3, speaking unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to, every, to them every man a lamb, 
according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And then later on in Exodus 12.5, Exodus 12.5, it gives the criteria for the lamb. The lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. They shall take of the blood and strike it on the side posts and the upper doorpost of the houses wherein you shall eat it. So, the, and then God went on and said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. So, so the selection of the lamb or the goat by the father was not haphazard. It wasn't like, uh, yeah, take him, that's fine. No, it, that was going to be, the importance of the selection was that that lamb or goat was going to save the house from death. So, you know, you picture the father. He goes out, you know, and he's looking over each lamb very carefully, making sure that it qualified, it was uh, the right age, the first year, and didn't have any blemish and so forth. This is going to be a salvation lamb. That's very important. So <clears throat> that's the purpose of the genealogy or this pedigree of the Lord. Be- because because it's, it, it's just as the, the father was making his choice by marking out the lamb or the goat and coming back to the family and says, look, I found it, I got it. There's my lamb, here's our lamb, here's our lamb, here's our goat. Rejoice with me. So the genealogy in this chapter is the Lord being marked out as the chosen sacrificial lamb for Israel, for a whole uh, house of Israel, a whole family of Israel. So when you read this genealogy, you, what we need to see here is God the Father coming back to, to, to man and saying, look, I found him. I found him. It's a perfect lamb. I took him right out of the herd, herd of humanity. And that's, that's what's meant in, in, in Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14 where it says, For as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise, himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So the, the points that are made from Hebrews 2.14 is that partakers of flesh and blood and able to die. So that means that when you look over this genealogy, you, you know, we should be asking the question, well, this new person, is that an angel? Nope, that's a human, okay. And, and, and so the, the genealogy establishes the, the, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ was a man. And we look over the genealogy and we ask, we can ask, did that person die? Yep, he died. Okay, yes, 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 yes. You go down through the whole list. And you say, perfect, then Jesus Christ will die also, just like all of them. Okay, so this is the perfect sacrificial lamb that has been found to die for the sins of man. Now, when we read that Jesus Christ was the son of David, that also opens up for us various chapters in David's life. I mean, this is, he is the son of David, the shepherd, the shepherd boy in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem. He's the son of David, the, the, the fugitive who's hiding in caves. He's the son of David, the warrior, the conqueror. He's the son of David, the king. So this is very important when it says he's the son of David to see this link which will be in his life. He'll follow that. Now, and then he comes to the son of Abraham. Abraham was told, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And since that time, all the world has waited for the seed. Where's the seed that's going to bless all the world? Well, again, here it is in this, here it is in this introduction. This is God saying, here he is. Here he is. This is the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham 
has a couple of very unique relationships with, with God or with the world. And with one of those unique relationships that he had with the world was expressed in the choice of his housing. He chose to live in a tent, says that in Hebrews 11.8. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out of a place that he should have to receive for inheritance, obeyed, went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tents, in tabernacles with Isaac and, and Jacob. So he, he, so, so, so Abraham is a man who was very detached from this world. And the Lord Jesus Christ also is coming in that vein and saying, I am not of this world. Now, another thing about Abraham is that it's very characteristic in, in terms of his relationship to God because Abraham can be known as the lech lecha man. Lech, lech, go, go, you go. go lech, go, lecha, you go. He's the go, you go man, the lech lecha man, uh, because that was his calling in, in Genesis 12. God said to him, Abraham, lech lecha, so you go. And so he went out when he was called. And that's an important parallel with the Lord Jesus, because he, he, he refused, Abraham refused to call this world his home, and he, he obeyed God even by refusing. And so here's the Lord Jesus, who, uh, who, who says, uh, you know, other people have a bed to lie on and, and places to live, I, but I only have, uh, I, I don't even have a pillow to put my head on. He's the Lech Lecha man, just like Abraham was. Important parallel. Now, all right, so uh, I think we'll stop here. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our Lord Jesus. Thank you that you chose him out, Lord, from among humanity to be our Savior, to be our qualified one. And, Lord, we pray that you would uh, build within all of us a sense of anticipation as we, uh, Lord, are privileged to go into once again your wonderful book of Matthew. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. 
early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, creation museum, and tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Israel Restoration Ministries is excited to announce a limited-time offer for our Friendship with God study Bible and hymnal. This package includes a large-printed genuine lambskin leather Bible featuring over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, maps, timelines, and frequently asked questions. In addition, you'll also receive our Friendship with God hymnal. This hymnal, the first of its kind, contains over 1,000 hymns and melodies, making it the largest collection ever printed. Included with your purchase, you'll also receive a complimentary engraving of your name on either book. For more information, visit us at friendshipwithgod.org or give us a call at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104. 